Amen. Life is worth the living because he lives. Amen. There's no greater reason or way for us to live than through him. If you'll take your Bibles this morning and open them to Romans chapter 15 and put your finger there on verse 7 as you're turning there. You remember we've been working our way through Romans and Paul writing this letter to the church of Rome and he has covered the need for forgiveness. He covered the idea that everyone is a sinner regardless of who you are, that we're all in need of a sin, that the the foot of the cross is all level and that Jesus came and that he was that one to pay our price on that cross. And today I want us to look at that we are part of of the promise. There is something unique about us as Gentiles. We were brought into this promise. God made a promise, a a covenant with his people, his nation, Israel. And we're going to see today what great news that that is for us today as we work our way through the text. And we're at a pivotal point in this study in Romans. We're beginning to conclude what Paul has, he covered that we were all sinners in need of saving. And because we were saved, here's what we need to do. He's starting to wrap that up. Before we get into the conclusion uh, over the next couple of weeks. But if you would stand with me please as we read from God's word. Out of Romans chapter 15. Be beginning in verse 7. It says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in himself shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, today, Lord, I just, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear from you. Father, I pray that you would help me in the flesh to step aside and just become a vessel, Lord, that is open and willing to be used by you. Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. And Father, through your words, may our eyes be open to behold the wonderful news from your word. Father, I pray that our ears would hear from Holy Spirit and our hearts would be softened, Lord, to respond to Holy Spirit as you speak to us this morning. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As we understand, as we mentioned last week, that the 
church is coming together. The church is beginning in the book of Acts and in Romans as we see it building in the different churches around. And there's different groups coming together. You basically have two groups. You have the Jews, God's chosen people. And anyone else outside of that would be a Gentile. So probably for most of us in this room, we are Gentiles. But praise the Lord that we were part of his promise. And I'm going to tell you in a little while, we're going to see just to give you a little key we were not a second thought we were not a oh let me add them in so we know that we are part of the promise and as Paul has been writing wanting us to understand and he was writing to them talking about coming together last week we looked at those who were more mature or strong in the faith than those who were weaker or less mature in the faith that you needed to come together you needed to work with each other and you need to come alongside each other and it begins today on that same concept there in verse 7 it says therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. He's writing now to both the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, you have your differences. You're coming from different backgrounds, which is obvious because the Jews were brought up in the synagogue or in the temple. They were given all the rules and the regulations and you had to do this and you had to do that. There was this covenant of God's people. And in their mind, you have these Gentiles who were not part of that covenant. And now God's bringing them all in and he's saying, you need to accept one another. Because can you imagine how easy that would be as a Jew to look at the Gentiles and say, you wasn't part of the original covenant. We don't want you here. But then you could see the Gentiles looking at the Jews and said, well, you were part of the covenant and you're the one that crucified him because you rejected him. You don't need to be here. So this could very easily become a dividing line. But Paul says that in Jesus Christ, he says, Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Christ accepted both Jews and the Gentiles. He died for both of them. And he's telling them here, y'all need to put all your differences aside and you need to accept one another. Well, within the church of Jesus Christ today, we all come from different walks of life. And I'm sure if each one of us would take our whole highly righteous self, we could look at the one sitting around us and we could find a reason why they don't need to be here. But the same thing, they could probably very quickly look at us and find a reason that we don't need to be here. Was I always told, don't point a finger? Because when you point a finger, you got three pointing back at you, amen? We need to accept each other in the body of Christ. We need to accept those around us. And we need to accept those that are of different denominations. You see, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a line with the fast track that says Southern Baptist. There's not going to be a line that says Methodist or Catholic or Episcopalian or anything else. What it's going to be is there's a line for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that in all denominations there are believers who have put their faith in Jesus Christ just as well as I believe in all denominations there are those sitting in the church who think that they're going there because they're sitting in the church and they're misled. And we need to accept our fellow brothers and sisters. Because once we've gone to the foot of the cross and they've gone to the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground. We're all under the same bloodshed. We're all under the same lordship. As any other believer. 
So the first thing I want us to look at, since we are part of the promise, is we have a reason to accept one another. We have a reason to accept one another. It tells us there very clearly. It says in verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. Jesus became a, a servant. In our day and time, we have a negative connotation of this word servant because it's been so um, pictured in a negative light. But let me tell you, when Paul was writing what he meant by this word servant, it is one who serves as an intermediary in a transaction. You see, Jesus came to be a servant. He came to be the one in between in a transaction. What is that transaction? That transaction is our salvation. Amen? All of us, and Paul's made that very clear through this first part of Romans that we looked at, all of us are sinners. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve God's mercy, but because of that, God knew that we didn't deserve that, but God still loved us, and he said that there is only one way, and that is through a sacrifice, the bloodshed, the death, and he loved us enough that he sent his son to come and to die on that cross. And when he died on that cross, Jesus became a servant to those of the circumcision. He became a servant. He was the middle person in the transaction. He's the one that did the transaction. He paid the price. But who are those that are of the circumcision? That would be the Jews. Uh, circumcision is a, a group of people. And even more than that, it's a group of people who still believed in the requirement of circumcision as a way into the people of God. Back in the day before Jesus came in the Old Testament, God gave them the law. The circumcision was the sign of them coming into or receiving that covenant. And it's more specifically, he's talking to the Jews here. He said, Jesus became a servant for the Jews. He became that middleman for the Jews. He's the one that become that circumcision. He's the one that become that sacrifice of those lambs that they're used to over and over on the altar. He became that bloodshed. He became that middleman to pay the price even for the Jews. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes on to verse 9 and he continues on that he became a servant. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. See, Jesus became the servant for the Gentiles. Jesus became the servant for you and for me. He came to be the middleman to do the job that we couldn't do. He came to pay that price for us. He came to serve us. Oftentimes when we look at Jesus, we look at him and we put Jesus up on that highest pedestal right where he belongs. He's at the right hand of God and we look at him as king of kings and lord of lords. But all through the scripture, Jesus talks about him being a servant. Jesus came to serve us. Jesus came to be the one to step in the gap so that you and I could have salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen. It is Jesus. 
And what Paul is telling him here is very quickly that Jesus came to be a servant for the Jews. Jesus came to be a servant for the Gentiles, which is anyone who is not a Jew. So Jesus came to be a servant. Jesus came to be the one to pay the price for anyone. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. You see, he's saying y'all need to accept each other. You need to come together and realize that you're only here because of one person, and that's Jesus Christ, who became the servant. He became the middleman and stayed in their place. He's telling the Jews or the Gentiles here that those that are non-Jews that they need to glorify. You see there at verse 9, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. There's to glorify God. It's positively acknowledging. They need to praise him. It says to the glory of God. To acknowledge or recognize or esteem his character, his nature. You know what part of our worship is? You know what it means to glorify God is we are to praise him for his character. Part of our prayer time should be praising God for who he is, not what he's done. God is the creator We acknowledge the positive things about him. We recognize or we esteem his attributes. He is all present. You know, God is everywhere, all the time, and at all times. There's nowhere you can go that God ain't there. He's all-knowing. God knows everything. Call that omniscience. You know, we, we see these things. We hear these words, but do we think about them? Sometimes... I'm going to tell off a little bit on myself here. Sometimes I, I don't want to go to God because I don't want him to know something. Well, we believe God knows everything. He already knows. All he's doing, you know what he's doing when that's happening? I, I can kind of see God. He's sitting here. He's got a blessing. He's just waiting for me to come to him. And when I come to him and I release it, he says, thank you. I've been waiting. It's not keeping a secret. We can praise him for those things. The Gentiles are able to come into this promise of salvation, this covenant of salvation, and we acknowledge that he's everywhere, that he he knows everything. He's all powerful. Wow, the praise that we can give, the glory we can give to him, knowing that he can do anything he chooses to do. When we need help, he's got big enough shoulders. And then Paul quotes from both 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18. Let me just read that to you. 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty says, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praise to your name. So Paul is going back into the Old Testament. The Jews are going to understand this because they know that. And he's telling them exactly what you need to do. He quotes, and it's written two different places. And they give praise to you among the Gentiles. So he's telling the Jews here, you already know this stuff. And even in the Old Testament, God was foretelling that the Gentiles were going to be a part. 
he's telling them right there, it said that even the Gentiles will praise him. But you know, another reason that we can accept each other, not only was Jesus a servant to the Jews, Jesus was a servant of the Gentiles, but Jesus was the servant of the redemptive plan. The redemptive plan that God chose from the beginning of time. Jesus was that servant. He was that middleman. He was the one. He was the only one. And we can accept each other because Jesus willingly came obedient to the Father and came and became the incarnate Christ is what we call it. He became Jesus. He became God in the flesh. He became one like us. He came as a baby born of a virgin. But the miraculous difference in Jesus Christ and any of us is he was sinless. He lived in this world like we live in this world. He was tempted in every way possible that we might be tempted. But yet he never ever sinned. What does that mean? I believe that means he was never disrespectful to his parents. He never talked back to his parents. He never did anything contrary to the law. He never had a bad thought. I mean come on. I mean he was perfect. And because he was perfect, God said that the sacrifice for mankind had to be an unblemished lamb. One without spot, one without defect. And praise the Lord, Jesus Christ matched that. Because God in flesh, he was perfect. He had no defect. And he was without blemish. He was the servant for the redemptive plan. It was for everyone. And listen to this. I love this out of Genesis 22. It says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have listened to my voice. He was given a covenant. Did you hear what book I said that was? Let me repeat that in case you didn't hear. Genesis. The very first book of the Bible begins to tell us about the creation. It begins to tell us about God's plan begins to tell us about this redemptive plan and he's talking and giving the covenant he said in your seed all the nations churches the gentiles we were not an afterthought we were not a second thought we were not a oops i made a mistake let me go put them in there We're not the, well, my people aren't going to worship me and they denied me. Let me just go find somebody else over here who will worship me and accept me. No, from the very beginning of time, God had it in his mind for all people, all nations, Jews and Gentiles alike, to be a part of the redemptive plan. And it says, in your seed, all the nations shall be blessed. How are we blessed? Because of the gift of Jesus Christ through that seed and that line to come and to be that servant of the redemption plan amen what a glorious thought that that is not only do we have a reason to accept but scripture tells us third secondly that we have a reason to rejoice how many of you like rejoicing amen how many of you like rejoicing amen we have a reason to rejoice verse 10 
Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. Here he is. He's telling us as the Gentiles to rejoice. And Paul is going back and he's quoting again from the Old Testament. But what is this rejoice that he's talking about? It's to be glad or delighted or to celebrate. I like celebrating. I don't know about you, but I could get excited about some celebration. Amen? Birthdays, Christmas, homecomings. We look at births of babies. We look all around and there's reasons to celebrate. But the greatest reason to celebrate is because we have salvation. Praise the Lord. There's nothing better and nothing greater to rejoice in than that. And he's saying to the Jews and to the Gentiles both, you have a reason to rejoice. And we can rejoice, here it is, because we are part of God's family. Amen. Can you rejoice over that? Can you rejoice for your salvation? Let's look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43 is where he quotes from here. It says, O nations, cause his people to shout for joy, for he will avenge the blood of his slaves, and he will render vengeance on his adversaries, and he will atone for his land and for his people. We can rejoice because we are part of his family. It tells us that we can rejoice because Jesus died for us. It says there that he will avenge the blood of his slaves. Our blood became tainted with sin. Our bodies and our flesh are in a dying world. And we can rejoice because that's the reason he's sending his son Jesus to die on the cross because he has to avenge for us. He has to pay that price. And because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus, maybe we can say we had a blood transfusion. Amen. And we got that sin out of us and he cleansed us. And we can rejoice because we're part of that family of God. We can rejoice because Jesus died for our sins. And we can rejoice because Jesus is our atonement. It says, and he will avenge the blood of his slaves and he will render vengeance on the adversaries and he will atone for his people and for his land. God was very clear that it took death. God's very clear throughout his word that there's only one way and that one way is through Jesus Christ and even in the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy he's talking about that there's going to be this one that's going to atone for the land is going to atone for the people. Is going to take the place of the people. And I have to just put a little caveat in here this morning. And he will render vengeance on his adversaries. Those who are attacking Israel have got a severe price to pay. Because God will not let them go unpunished. God's chosen people that he chose to work through, that nation of Israel. We need to be praying for them. We need to be standing with them and praying for their peace. And, and maybe we need to be praying for those who have got a price to pay. But I truly believe if those adversaries repent... And turn to Jesus as Lord. His blood was for them too. But it's so difficult when you're wrapped up. And you're in that nature. And you're in that culture. 
May we be praying for Israel. May we be praying that Holy Spirit would be moving all across that country. You see, we have a reason to accept one another. We have a reason to rejoice. And thirdly, we have a reason to praise. Amen. Praise to extol the greatness of a deity or the deity's works as an act of worship. We have a reason to praise. Our worship is to extol his work. I mean, look all around us. Look at the blessings and the mercies that you have. Even if God chose to do nothing in our life other than salvation, that is the greatest thing he could ever do. And we can praise him and we can worship him and we can honor him because of what he's done. We need to lift that up, church. We need to remember daily that great gift. Because it cost us nothing but our worship to him. To come to him on faith and it cost Jesus everything. Cost him his life, but praise the Lord, God brought him back. He's a living God. The greatness of what he is, his works, we can act of worship. Again, we see where Paul is going back here in these verses to some other Old Testament. We see it, Psalm 117. It says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all people. For his loving kindness prevails over us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. There's a reason to praise him. His loving kindness prevails over us. His loving kindness rules over us. The loving kindness of God is washed all over us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're his children. We're his servants. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Every day that you take a breath, his loving kindness is washing over you. We have that hope and we have that promise his loving kindness the mighty great mercies and love of God I mean we could just I could stop preaching and we could stay here for weeks on end sharing the love of God with each other the testimonies of what God is doing in our lives his mercy each and every day I don't know about you but I begin to wonder sometimes if God is going to run out of mercy and grace on me But he has, as was the old commercial raisin brand, two scoops. I mean, it just keeps on coming. We can worship him. We are to praise him. And we're to praise the incarnate Christ. Jesus Christ, the God in flesh. Listen as another quote from Isaiah 11.10 that he has there in Romans. But Isaiah 11.10. Then it will be in that day. That the nations will seek the root of Jesse, who will stand as a standard for the people, and his resting place will be glorious. Who is the root of Jesse? Good question. They knew who Jesse was in the Old Testament. Some of our patriarchal forefather, Jesse. But who is this root of Jesse? But it referred to an individual ruler from the Davidic line is how they would have said it. Let me bring that down to you. It's a ruler who's coming through the line of David. And if you start your genealogy and you begin working your way through some of the 
most heroic people, some of the lowest life people, prostitutes, murderers, and you begin to follow your way on down, adulterers through David, and you keep following that genealogy down through that line, you're wondering, is there really someone worthy of a ruler that can come out that will be the standard for the people? Yes, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the root of Jesse. Jesus is the standard for people. Jesus was high and lifted up on that cross for all to look at. Jesus gives us an example through the New Testament, through the Gospels that tell about his ministry, how he went out of his way to accept all. And let me tell you, his resting place is glorious. His sitting at the right hand of God is one of the most glorious places there is. So we can praise the incarnate Christ, but also believe that we have a reason to praise because as believers, we have the hope in believing. Let's look back at Romans 15, just real quick, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope who will give you all joy and peace. Some might want to put a period right there but it's more than that. It says all joy and peace in believing. We must believe in Jesus Christ for all hope and all peace and all joy. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, it says, is the one that comes and abounds in us and gives us this hope. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't have hope, you don't have peace, and you don't have joy. The world may say it has hope. It may say it has peace, and it may say that it has joy, but it doesn't. And if it's experiencing something of a moment, it's only temporary. But we as believers, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are part of his promise. We are not an afterthought. He had us in mind from the very beginning. Believe it or not, God had us in mind before he ever even created the world. That he was going to bring Jews and Gentiles together and that we would sin and that he would bring us together united in fellowship and brotherly love through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ. And as part of that promise, we can praise his attributes and he's going to give us joy and peace. You know, God is joy. Amen. God is peace. Would you agree with that? Say amen this morning. And if God is joy and God is peace and God is hope and God resides in you, then inside of you is peace, hope, and joy. We're part of the promise. That's what it's all about. Amen. As we are part of that promise, I want to encourage you to know that we have a reason to accept. Regardless of what the culture says, we have a reason to accept. We have a reason to rejoice. And we have a reason to praise God. And may we never fail to worship Him in those aspects. Would you bow your heads this morning?